Good evening and thanks for coming out tonight. It's so nice to see everyone's faces here. I wasn't sure how many we'd get, but it looks like, thankfully, you know, the dessert drew everyone here. So <laughs> thanks for being here. And I'd just love to start by thanking Maddie for organising, Lana for helping, all the people who made desserts. Thank you so much, Jamie, for leading us in singing. Um, thank you so much. It's been such a lovely evening so far. Um, tonight, as you all know, we'll be looking at the topic of contentment. So if you'd like a title for this talk, I've titled it Learning Contentment. Now, when Richie Riley and myself were having a chat one random Monday morning about who we could ask to speak at our next women's event, <laughs> I, saw, I said something along the lines of, oh, sorry, I have no suggestions for speakers yet, but... I do have a suggestion for a topic. And I said something like, I'd love to hear a talk on contentment because I'd been reading a book on it and I was being really ministered to by that book and I just wanted to hear more. To which Riley responded with something along the lines of, go for it. <laughs> and, then <laughs> and so here we are. As you can see, things escalated pretty quickly from that point. So as I stand here before you ladies tonight, still wondering how on earth I ended up in this position, I just want to say that I don't do it um, from any position of authority, but as a fellow woman who has struggled deeply with the sin of discontentment, and as a result has always wondered if the contented life is a real attainable thing. So tonight I just want to share with you ladies what I found on this journey so far. I'd also like to preface this talk by saying that most of my thoughts and ideas come from this book, Learning Contentment. Can you see my title also came from this book? Um, by Nancy Wilson. Um, I would highly recommend it to all of you and if anything I say tonight piques your interest at all and you'd love to find out more, it's probably in here, so please check it out. Okay, before we get stuck in, please let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much that um, we can find all that we need to be content in you. Um, Lord, I pray that you would um, help us tonight by your spirit, um, yeah, to, to be ministered to. Um, and Lord, that you would help us to catch what you'd like us to catch and to leave what you'd like us to leave. Um, Lord, I pray that you would humble me um, and by your mercy, um, would you use what I have to say for your glory alone, God? Um, yeah, would you, uh, we just ask that you would help us tonight. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. So, contentment. What comes into your mind when you think of that word? What has been your experience of it? It doesn't take much for us to look around in this day and age and recognise that contentment is a very elusive thing. I don't know if you've ever watched a bunch of children playing with toys, not in a creepy way, but a child can be happily playing with something without a care in the world, but all it takes is another kid to come along with something different. It doesn't even have to be bigger or better, just different. And all of a sudden, that first child's toy starts looking a bit dusty and boring, and all he can think about is how to get his hands on that other kid's toy. Sadly, us fully developed adults aren't much different, are we? We live in a culture steeped in consumerism, materialism, self-development and an abundance of wealth and choice. 
and our lives can feel like a relentless rat race to get more and get better, which forces us to ask ourselves the question, do we ever arrive? Do we ever finish the race? Does anyone ever win? Now, for those of us who are believers, we already know that contentment can only be found in Christ alone. We all know this. Where we struggle, though, is actually living in light of this truth. I know my struggle has always been trying to live in that state of contentment in Christ. In fact, it feels a bit like trying to hold water in my hands. We feel it for a moment. We live in the reality of being content in Christ. But then much like those children, all it takes is for us to look outside of our lives and recognise all that we don't have. And before we know it, we're plagued with thoughts of wanting more or better. And much like the world, we're suddenly more aware of all that we lack rather than the abundance of all that we have. Now, I feel as though it might be appropriate whilst giving a talk on contentment to try and define it. So I'm just going to steal Nancy Wilson's definition. (laughs) According to Nancy Wilson in her book, she defines contentment to be a deep satisfaction with the will of God. I'll repeat that. Contentment is a deep satisfaction with the will of God. What are you thinking right now as you hear this definition? If you're anything like me, then you're probably thinking that more often than not, the opposite is true of our lives. And as a result, we can often wonder if living with this kind of contentment is even attainable on this side of eternity. Well, through tonight's talk, it's my hope to share with you all that contentment can be a daily reality for us. In fact, the main point that I'd like to get across this evening is that every circumstance in our lives is a God-given opportunity for us to learn contentment through Christ who strengthens us. I know it's a mouthful, so I'll say it again. Um, Every circumstance in our lives is a God-given opportunity for us to learn contentment through Christ who strengthens us. Now to explain this, I hope to share three points this evening. Point one being discontentment, the natural choice. Contentment, the supernatural choice. And point three, making the supernatural choice. So let's kick off with point one. Discontentment, the natural choice. In December of 2017, my youngest daughter, Nora, was born. At the time, Lucas was three years old, Eleanor was about a year and a half, and I was exhausted. Let me tell you, it was a rough time in our lives. I vividly remember calling Richard constantly in a puddle of tears and having meltdown after meltdown after meltdown. Why do we think having the kids this close in age would be such a good idea? I just didn't want to be there. And I also remember frequently thinking and even praying for the day where all these kids would just be off at school. Now fast forward about five years. Lucas is currently in year two. Eleanor's been in kindy this year. And as of Monday, the 6th of February, 2023, (laughs) Nora will be in big school. The day that I prayed for and so longed for all those years ago is almost upon me. And what is it that I feel? Joy, excuse me, excitement, gratitude even. A little bit, but not really. 
Mostly I feel sadness, a sense of grief, a loss of identity. I'm actually not really looking forward to that day very much anymore. So much so that about a year ago when I an anticipated that this end was nigh, I approached Richie and I asked if we could have more children, <laughs> as if that would solve anything. <coughs> you guys ever experienced this progression of thoughts or emotions? Discontentment. It seems like it follows us wherever we go, doesn't it? Even when we get the very thing we prayed for. Now, what I'm not saying is that we can never feel grief or sadness about our circumstances. We can feel all those things without indulging in sinful thoughts or behaviours. Unfortunately, this wasn't the case for me. If contentment is a deep satisfaction in the will of God, then what I was feeling was definitely the opposite. And let me tell you, it's a feeling that's hard to shake. Nancy Wilson says, the normal state of a man is certainly not contentment. We creatures can find much to complain about in all circumstances. Even the best circumstances can be less than perfect. It's too hot or too cold, too short or too tall, too much or too little, too early or too late, too wet or too dry. Sound familiar? In fact, through God's word and all of history, we see this to be true, and that discontentment seems to be the easy choice, the natural choice for all of us, no matter what we have or where we're at. Please look with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. For some context, God had just created man and woman, and he was very good. And then the serpent enters the scene. We all know this exchange. The serpent approaches Eve and asks, did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees in the garden? And she replies by saying, no, we can. We can eat from all of them, just not the one, because if we do, we'll die. Pick up with me in verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Did you catch that? It's quick and it's subtle, but did you notice Eve's little nudge with discontentment and what that led her to? I mean, let's backtrack and zoom out for a bit. Eve had everything the human heart could desire. She had the perfect place to dwell, the perfect husband. The Bible even tells us that she went on afternoon strolls with her creator. I mean, literal heaven. And yet, as soon as the serpent comes along and highlights something that she cannot have, the one thing amongst a myriad of blessings she had access to, discontentment awakens within her and what does it lead her to sin the natural choice for the natural man or, or woman look with me quickly to another example the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for more than 400 years and then in his infinite mercy and perfect timing the Lord delivers them by his mighty hand he sends Moses 
the ten plagues. He leads them by a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. Just imagine that for a second. He parts the Red Sea, basically displays his resplendent might and glory for all the Israelites to see with their own eyeballs. They saw it. And then what happens not very long after? Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 to 3 says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We see so clearly here that the Israelites also gave in to their natural desires, the easy choice. They too fell into the snare of discontentment, which also led to sin. These two examples show us that discontentment is the easy and natural choice for us because sin is the easy and natural choice for us. And just like any sin, it doesn't take much for it to poison every corner of our lives. Nancy Wilson says, discontent clusters around two general areas, things we have and things we don't have. We become discontent with what we have, refusing to be thankful, and this fuels a desire for things we don't have, coveting what isn't ours. It permeates everything, what we have, what we don't have. And what's the result of this? She goes on to say, Though discontent is a standalone sin in itself, it is also a petri dish for growing a whole bunch of other sins. Once the heart is discontent, it becomes fertile ground for many other sins. We see so clearly that this was the case for both Eve in the garden and the Israelites in the wilderness. They refused to be thankful for what they had, and so they coveted what they didn't have. And as a result, this discontentment led them all to sin. Friends, isn't this just as much our story? There are a million circumstances in any given day that can tempt us to choose discontentment. And before we know it, it's become a gateway to the sin of envy, anger, a grumbling spirit, pride, bitterness, resentment, and ungodly comparison, just to name a few. So the question I want to ask all of us tonight is, what are some of the circumstances in our lives that are tempting us to make the easy choice? And then think about the multitude of blessings we are unable to recognise because we've let discontentment take hold of our hearts. Please let me be clear. As I said earlier, there is a difference between godly grief and the sin of discontentment. And God does not condemn us for praying for change in any of these circumstances. In fact, he encourages us to approach his throne with boldness. But if we examine the depths of our hearts, do we see that we are fighting for contentment in all these circumstances even as we pray for change? Or do we allow the sin of discontentment to freely reign in our hearts, leading us to sin? Friends, let me be the first to tell you that I am guilty of this, often on a daily basis. 
But friends, it's also my delight to tell you that there is a better way. Another choice, albeit more difficult, but possible for those of us who are in Christ. This leads me to my second point, contentment, the supernatural choice. Now, we've heard a bunch on discontentment and how it's the natural choice for us, our natural state. This would imply that contentment is an unnatural state for us to be in. Nancy Wilson has defined, we've heard, contentment to be a deep satisfaction with the will of God. But what does this look like? Well, Jeremiah Burroughs, a Puritan preacher from the 15th century, has said, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal. Now, picture anyone going through any type of hardship with this kind of disposition. It doesn't seem natural, does it? In fact, I want to try and show us this evening that it goes beyond the unnatural to the supernatural. Contentment is a supernatural choice, a supernatural state of being which God is calling us to walk in. So how do we choose it? How do we walk in the supernatural? Please look with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. This is where we'll be camping out for pretty much the rest of our time together. Paul here says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now here we see that Paul reached that ultimate goal of being content in all circumstances. But how did he get there? Well, he says in verse 11, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He reveals to us here that he had to learn it. And in doing so, thankfully for us, this also implies that it can be learned. Nancy Wilson says, we often think contentment is something that happens to us rather than something that we take pains to learn. Paul doesn't say he was born a naturally contented person. Rather, God gave him many opportunities to learn it. We should be encouraged by this. Because if Paul, such a great man of faith, had to learn contentment, then there is no shame in confessing that we are going to need some lessons as well. Friends, doesn't this encourage us? Doesn't it bring us relief? Because Paul's natural disposition was a sinful one, much like ours. He too was naturally inclined to the sin of discontentment. So he had to learn how to be content in all circumstances. And God gave him plenty of opportunities where these lessons could take place. Let's have a quick look at what some of these opportunities were. Read with me 2 Corinthians 11, 24-28. This is Paul speaking. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Okay, I think Paul wins in the hardship department, don't you think? And yet, this is the same man who says, I'm not speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. How could he say this? Was he a stoic? Did Paul have a suck-it-up princess mentality where he believed that Christians were meant to walk through hardship with a stiff upper lip? Is that what contentment is? Well, Nancy Wilson helpfully answers this question for us. She says, Paul says he is satisfied in all places and in all things. He makes clear that there is nothing that he finds to be unsatisfactory. Why? Because he understands that God has put him in each circumstance on purpose. He knows that in each circumstance, no matter how difficult, God is doing this for him, not to him. You see, friends, Paul knew that every one of these circumstances were God-given opportunities for him to learn contentment through Christ who strengthens him. So friends, what circumstances has God put you in on purpose to teach you contentment in this season of your life? Is it something as menial as bad weather? Raining again! No judgment, we've all been there, especially after the year of rain we've had. Or is it a job that isn't quite exciting enough? A house that no longer feels quite big enough after your first second, third, or for Maddie, her fourth child. (laughs) Maybe it's friends who aren't meeting your expectations. A bank balance that never seems to be quite big enough to buy the things you really want. Or is it a marriage that feels nowhere near where you'd hope for it to be, even a decade in? A season of singleness that's gone for far too long as you feel your biological clock ticking. Maybe it's enduring a chronic illness that has left your body weak and unable to do simple things that others seem to do with such ease. Or is it the knowledge that your womb is empty yet again after another failed pregnancy? Friends, do any of these resonate with you? Now, I know that some of these examples are lighthearted and others are extremely heavy, extremely heavy. Thankfully for us, we too have the same gracious instructor as the Apostle Paul. Our good and merciful God has given us his word, his promises and his spirit to teach us how to have that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that Burroughs speaks of whatever it is we face. But if you're anything like me, 
You're probably listening to all this and thinking, well, that's great, Rebs, and I get what you're saying, but it's still too hard. In fact, in the circumstances I'm in, it feels impossible. Well, friend, I'm right there with you. And thankfully for us, Paul has an answer for those of us who feel this way. Look with me to verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul says within his journey of learning contentment, he has learned the secret of facing all circumstances. What was it? Well, it's right there in the very next verse, isn't it? He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is where contentment reveals itself to be a supernatural choice that can only be empowered by a supernatural ability. Paul knew it wasn't his natural disposition, so he also knew it wasn't by his natural strength that he was going to be able to learn contentment. As much as our effort is required in learning this spiritual discipline, we can see here that ultimately, ultimately Christian contentment cannot be attained without the supernatural help of Christ, our Saviour. And friends, what a relief. God himself has made a way for us to become deeply satisfied with his will for our lives. He has made it possible for us to have that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit that freely submits to and delights in God's will, no matter what life throws our way. He's provided us a way to remain cheerful, to laugh at the days to come, and to not be churned up with daily dramas. Sound impossible? Well, I'm here to tell you it is, apart from the strength of Christ, through which we can do all things. So what circumstances are you facing today? What opportunities are you being given by God to lay hold of this promise and to let it empower you to do the impossible, the supernatural? Friends, every circumstance in our lives is a God-given opportunity for us to learn contentment through Christ who strengthens us. Now, on to my third and final point, making the supernatural choice. So how do we get there? What does it look like on the ground when we're faced with those seemingly impossible circumstances where God is calling us to learn contentment? I'd love to leave us all this evening with three really quick, practical ways which I hope will serve us in our fight for contentment. Now remember, all of these require supernatural strength. So when putting them into practice, let's pray and ask for Christ's strength to empower us to do these things. Well, the first practical point is practice gratitude. Nancy Wilson calls gratitude the antidote to discontentment. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ for you. All circumstances, it's God's will for us. It was his idea. Even when we are praying for change, we're called to give thanks whilst doing it. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. We can see here that it's not just a stoic gratitude that God is after, but that even in the midst of acute hardship or lack, as we come to him as a child to a father, asking for relief, we can see that even then there are still a multitude of reasons to give thanks. And if in the moment you're unable to think of anything, then let me help you by reminding you of the greatest reason for us to give thanks. Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Charles Spurgeon once said, I've heard of some good old woman in a cottage who had nothing but a piece of bread and a little water. Lifting up her hands, she said as a blessing, what, all this and Christ too? Friends, at any given moment, we have much to be grateful for. Let's cultivate this practice in our lives. Let's verbalise gratitude often to our friends, to our family, to strangers and to God from whom all blessings flow. And let's watch as the discontentment which so permeated our hearts starts waning as our eyes are open to all that God has blessed us with. Secondly, friends, <coughs> be in the word. <coughs> Nancy Wilson says, the promises of God are the only bedrock on which we can build contentment. In these, it's these very promises which bolster our faith to fight for and choose contentment each day. Even in the passage we just looked at in Philippians, we saw that one, contentment can be learned and two, we can do it through Christ who strengthens us. Here are a few more promises regarding contentment. Psalm, 23, uh, Psalm chapter 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. When I am weak, then I am strong. Psalm 16, verses 5 to 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. These are just a few promises that serve as the bedrock on which we can build our contentment. And there are many more where they came from. Friends, let's be in the word in our pursuit of contentment. Lastly, but definitely not least, let's seek help. As with anything in the Christian life, learning contentment is not a solo endeavour. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What's the antidote to being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? Exhorting each other every day. The writer of Hebrews knew this was essential in our fight against sin. So friends, let's confess our struggles with discontentment to our growth groups. Let's ask someone to disciple us in this. Let's draw people into our journey to keep us accountable. Let us exhort one another every day 
as long as it is called today, so that we may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin in our journey to learning contentment. Now, friends, as we put these things into practice, there is no promise that life will get any easier, nor is there any guarantee that we will stop wrestling with discontentment altogether. We'll still face rainy days, mundane jobs, homes that feel too small, difficult friendships, hard seasons in marriage, prolonged singleness, chronic illnesses and empty wombs. Some of these less than desirable circumstances will still be woven into our stories. But as we do cultivate gratitude and give ourselves to being in God's word and as we seek help from fellow saints, May it sharpen our view of God's sovereignty, trusting that he has placed us where we are on purpose and fostering within us a deep satisfaction with his will for our lives. And ultimately, may it help us to see that every single one of these circumstances are God-given opportunities for us to learn contentment through Christ who strengthens us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the circumstances that you've placed each of us in today. Lord, I thank you um, that you are sovereign and you are good and that in each of these circumstances, whether hard or easy, Lord, that you are teaching us an important lesson about contentment in you, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we walk away, that you would help us to see the abundant blessings in each of our lives. Lord, I pray that praise would fill our lips. And Father, I pray that by your strength and your strength alone, that we would be able to be content in where you've placed us and in you, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And we pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen.